So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. Here we go. What is up, Atlanta? Welcome back to the Active Atlanta Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Jake Swore. And today, y'all, we have quite the dynamic duo when it comes to disorder eating, eating disorders, psychotherapy. Man, I'm going to do such an injustice of trying to uh, explain everything that they do and how they can help anyone from the ages of 5 to 65. Uh, we have the founders and owners of uh, Balanced Health Consulting, uh, Liza Williams and Kristen Lingle. Guys, Kristen Lingle, check this out. She's a double board certified psychiatric mental health and family nurse practitioner who is in the process of completing her doctorate degree in public health. On top of that, we also have Liza Williams. Liza is a registered dietitian with her master's in public health, and they are super passionate about what they do and who they're, and who they're on mission to help. Guys, I'm super excited to have them on. So without further ado, Liza and Kristen, how are you doing this evening? We're great. Thanks for having us today. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm super excited. Uh, I mean, you guys just went straight from clinic on the podcast. So I, I know like uh, your, your brains, that'd be like super like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> yes, so if I stutter a little bit or I say so ums or ahs, you know, I'm still adjusting. Yeah. You're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. Uh, uh, Liza, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank good. You. Good. So Here. balance health consulting. What is it? What do you guys do? So we are really passionate about providing physical and emotional care to children, adolescents, and adults. And we provide an interdisciplinary, holistic approach to care of people of all ages, shapes, and sizes who may be experiencing symptoms of eating disorders, disordered eating, anxiety, or depression, or who may be struggling with a life transition. I provide psychotherapy, meal support, and medication management, and I feel I have a more unique approach. A lot of psychiatric care has moved to a purely medication management uh, platform, yeah. and I really feel that it is important and is, it is an honor to hear a patient's story, and I think it's important to utilize narrative medicine and therapy and implement aspects of dialectical behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, in addition to providing medication where it may be desired and warranted. Yeah. Um, so, man, there's a lot to unpack there. You guys, uh, what exactly is psychiatric care? Like when you throw that term out there, what are you talking about? So psychiatric care a lot of times is thought of as the assessment, evaluation, and treatment of a psychiatric disorder. 
So that might be depression, major depressive disorder, um, anxiety disorder, anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. I prefer to really think of feelings and behaviors existing on a spectrum and that no person's identity should be a label or diagnosis. I really feel that these diagnoses, they help drive what evidence-based medicine or care that you utilize, but I really don't like people to think of themselves as a label or diagnosis. But psychiatric care is based on figuring out what's going on and then potentially fighting therapy, medication, or a combination of both. Mm -hmm. In the case of eating disorders, we're also looking at a very important dietetic counseling aspect and an aspect of working on nutrition and body image. And a lot of people don't realize the bulk of our serotonin is actually made in our gut and in our gastrointestinal system. Yeah. So if you're not eating well, of course, there's going to be a depression component and vice versa. It's a strong body mind. And that's where Liza is such a vital piece of this puzzle, whether it's someone with anxiety, depression, child feeding disorders, or an eating disorder. Yeah, man. So Liza, I, I know like, uh, what was, what was the first book? I'm trying to think back to it. Um, it I think it was called like the second brain or the brain maker. I think that was what it was. Uh, it was talking about how important our gut health is to like our overall function of our brain and all these different aspects. And that's one of the first time I, that's one of the first places I heard about how much of our serotonin, I mean, it's suffers, it suffers like 90%, isn't it? Or, or something like a very high amount of our serotonin is actually produced by our gut microbiome. What, yes. what are some foods? Um, I guess, is that something that you, you'll kind of address? Like, is, like, what are some things that you can look at when, um, you're just like, wow, uh, food can address that or can, so like if, if I'm eating, so say like, uh, so my wife is, uh, she's pregnant right now, right? She's, um, yes. and yeah, we're super excited about it. And she loves chocolate. She loved chocolate before, but she really loves chocolate. Now, um, is chocolate something like, is it something that makes you happy going to increase your serotonin that's produced when you eat it? Or is that, or am I thinking of that totally wrong? Well, I think you're, you're talking about, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons for why we eat and why we choose what we eat. Um, yeah. you know, there's four different types of hunger. So there's physical hunger, there's practical hunger, there's emotional hunger, and there's taste hunger. Um, so um, just, just thinking about that, it makes me think of how interrelated also our relationship with food and our body and movement is to our mental health. Um, because a lot of the reasons that we choose um, what we eat or how much we eat are correlated to how we're feeling um, emotionally, but also physically. And so that is something that I do a lot of work with clients um, who are struggling with eating disorders or, or who are, you know, on the spectrum of disordered eating is exploring their relationship with their hunger fullness cues and exploring, um, you know, what different foods mean and feel to them. Um, because a lot of times as an adult, um, we, we lose touch with our hunger fullness cues for a variety of reasons. And again, that's where looking at the person and their past experiences, their, um, around food, but also just around other things, um, are really important to understand, of you know, why they may have a certain experience around a certain food or type of food, um, why they may be 
leaning into that, why they may be avoiding it. Um, it's all very related. Um, so we do a lot of work with that. Um, I also always like to say that as humans, we are born as infants with fully intact hunger fullness cues. And um, a lot of times our experiences, um, some of which we recognize occur and some of which we don't can take us away from that attunement. And so a lot of the work that I do um, helps people become more aware of their body sensations, both inter both interoceptive and exteroceptive. Um, and yeah, just become a little bit more in touch with their body um, so that they can, can, can nourish it appropriately and adequately um, that will ultimately create a stable health um, mentally and physically. Yeah, that's super, man. So obviously you're super well-versed in the, uh, in your space. And, uh, obviously Kristen is super well-versed in her, in her domain as well. You guys form a nice little Venn diagram where you kind of come together, uh, in the middle there to really help you out your patients. What is that? And I know you've mentioned it. We were talking a little bit beforehand and you're talking about like this holistic approach that you guys, and this team-based approach that you guys are able to take, um, kind of explain that to me. What does that mean? If I'm a patient coming in and working with you guys, or how do you guys handle that dynamic within your company uh, for you guys to take this holistic and team-based approach with what you guys do from your specialties that definitely have overlap, but have their own uh, ends of the spectrum that they really kind of tone into as well. Sure. So I would say that if we have a patient come in that we are potentially going to overlap on. So Sometimes I will have a patient come in with disordered eating who already has a, another dietitian or therapist involved. And then I will reach out once we have a release of information um, and the patient wants us to collaborate with the other providers and work with them in terms of providing the best care. And that then in other cases, they may not have a dietitian. Liza may also be working with them. And then we're going to collaborate in terms of not only are we going to each do our evaluation, but we're going to talk and review records together to come up with, with a plan. There have also been times that maybe we're going to work together in a family session um, if there is something critical going on. So in addition, we work a lot with healthcare providers and um, so we actually have a, a medical checklist of different things that if someone is suffering from an eating disorder, that we like to work with pediatricians or primary care providers in terms of blood work, EKG, other things that need to be done. If the primary care provider wants that guidance and help, because it's really crazy how little information or education is done in nurse practitioner or medical school surrounding eating disorders. So yeah. a lot of times we have pediatricians or primary care providers calling us asking, Hey, what should I be ordering here? You know, can you help us evaluate? And since I have a family practice certification, as well as a psychiatric, I can work well with them. And then Liza has all that unbelievable background in terms of nutrition and dietetics, we're able to kind of work as a team to address everything because it's such a, it's such an overlay of physical yeah. and emotional symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What do you got, Eliza? Yeah. I was just going to say too, um, 
And that's something that is really important for us to collaborate with other providers, whether it's between our, ourselves or um, with providers outside of us, um, just to you know understand the patient and what's been going on. But also, um, it's it's great to have other providers on board for accountability for clients, um, as well as an additional support team um, for the client themselves, for their family. Um, I also think, as Kristen said, that there's there's a lot of room for education around eating disorders, um, disordered eating, kind of what to look out for um, from a medical standpoint, but also just from a behavioral standpoint. Um, yeah. And so I feel we both, um, since we both have experiences also in higher levels of care, um, have seen a, a wide spectrum of, of behaviors and also support needs. Um, and that also helps us be able to be a resource um, from a variety of angles for ourselves and for, for other providers and obviously for our clients and their families. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's gotta be so frustrating for you, Liza. Uh, I mean, uh, Catherine or Kristen, I'm sorry. I'm right there with you in the terms of like in PT school, we hardly got any, um, any type of like nutrition work at all. Right. Like any, anything that we, so at athletes potential, we definitely, uh, take a look at, um, you know, movement, we're movement specialists first and foremost. Right. But we're also going to take a look at people's uh, stress management. We're going to take a look at their sleep. We're going to make sure that they're eating appropriately from like very like high level functions. Right. Um, if we're, if we start picking out like eating disorders, like, oh my gosh, they're getting out of our clinic. Right. Like, and that from like, uh, or they're getting help from somebody else. We're not going to be the right persons for that. Um, but it's gotta be kind of frustrating for you sometimes Liza, we're like, uh, man, how is no other, uh, healthcare professional or healthcare profession getting, hardly, how are they hardly, hardly getting any type of RD work? And it could go such a long way or not RD work, but nutrition-based uh, education that could go such a long way in helping their patients out. Cause I know it's frustrating for me on my side of things. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's actually, it's really interesting because, um, in my program that I, I did do a master's in public health, um, it, it was very chronic condition focused, which, um, a lot of times the nutrition protocols for that are very restrictive in their own nature. Um, in terms of restricting a food or limiting a certain aspect of food. Um, and in that, a lot of those res restrictive um, meal plans or kind of things, they, they may be effective for a short term period, but you know, food is something that is a huge part of our quality of life. It's a, it's a part of our community. It's a part of our family. Um, it's how we connect with ourselves and with others. And so it can be really challenging um, to kind of create restrictive food plans that are sustainable for actual long-term effects. And so I think I, I had to do a lot of research, um, on my own about eating disorders. And, and I think eating disorders are very, um, they require a very different approach to nutrition, physical, mental health, um, and are very much kind of a niche, um, in, in the medical and mental health fields, because they are both, it, it overlaps of both being a, a physical and a mental um, disorder. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, learning about and hearing people's experiences of being put on restrictive meal plans um, from a variety of settings in terms of outpatient to when I was working in the hospital, um, I think that really drove my passion to 
be able to help people figure out what they can add to their diet rather than what they can take away. Um, and, and so, um, we both practice from that perspective of, um, a weight or sorry, a food inclusive, um, perspective, um, rather than a restrictive perspective, um, and talk a lot about how you can balance your meals and snacks with carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, um, from a perspective that all foods fit, nothing's off limits. Um, we talk about, you know, creating, um, or choosing that variety so that you're not eating the same things over and over again, um, widening that palate. And a lot of times that also, um, creates a lot of changes in one's quality of life and, and their mind and kind of mental capacity expands when they can stress less about food and feel more free around their choices and, and their body. And, um, again, mental and physical health, it's all very, uh, all very related. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then Kristen, on your side of things, like, are you, man, I don't want to oversimplify anything. Are you, uh, trying to help people, uh, man. And one of the many aspects that you do, is it trying to like help people manage their medication and food or try to get off medication with food or what does that kind of look like? So it really depends. I, and I also want to make an emphasis that even though we treat disorder or eating disorders, really a lot of what we are about is, is trying to prevent people from really developing a full eating disorder. Yeah. So a lot of people might come in just with, wow, you know, I haven't been eating all day. And then I feel like I'm binging at night and I feel really anxious. And, and then seeing that connection between anxiety and then restricting or binging on food. And how do you make that connection? And then how do you kind of work on other coping skills that aren't food related? You know, yeah. what are the other things that bring you peace, bring you happiness, uh, lessen your anxiety and working on all, all those pieces and really working on both the skills you might have um, environmentally. And then if it is desired and warranted, do we need to add a medication, an antidepressant or another medication to help these symptoms either on a temporary or long-term basis? Yeah. So I, I believe very much in start low, go slow, um, but I do utilize a, a lot of antidepressants in um, my practice depending yeah. on what's going on. And totally really this, this goal is, you know, eating disorder hospital admissions have more than doubled during the pandemic. Well, if we can kind of grab, grab and help people and clients earlier on before it gets to that level of severity, then that's a real success. And that's a public health win as well as a win for someone's own quality of life. Yeah. Now you bring up a couple of interesting things there and kind of, kind of going off of what both of y'all said where, um, and it kind of speaks, it speaks a lot to like what we do. Cause like, man, uh, like movement practice, movement and like training and getting out of pain, like, or just not getting out of pain, but living a, an active lifestyle. A lot of that is habit based. It's habit formation that we're doing, right? Like it's, it's yes, we can break a pain cycle, but how do we improve mechanics and then change your training habits to make sure that you are, are living an active and pain-free life or relatively pain-free. Um, and then and nutrition is, is kind of in like, uh, kind of in the same light there where it's very based on like, uh, like habit formation there. Right? Cause like, if all you're doing is restricting calories, then like, or having like food restrictions or different, like, you know, I'm not eating carbs, right. Then that's obviously not sustainable. You're forming the wrong habits. And then when you talked about the amount of eating disorders that increased during the pandemic, 
do you think that's kind of like a slippery slope? Like maybe like people like uh, pick up like uh, something that's not necessarily perceived as like something bad or a hat or a, or an eating disorder. Like say like uh, I don't know, um, they're working from home, so they just don't eat as much throughout the day, and then all of a sudden they realize how hungry they are and they eat at night, and then all of a sudden this turns into like it's it slides into an eating disorder, like you kind of talked about. Is that something that you guys are seeing, or am I kind of way off the map with that one? I think it's hard because it's sort of this slippery slope. Um, and no one has been able to perfectly pinpoint exactly why eating disorders are becoming more severe and okay. increasing, increasing both in terms of severity and in terms of um, frequency. But I would say that some people think it's the isolation of the pandemic. That's a huge thing. Feeling like you don't have any control over things going, uh, going on around you and then kind of utilizing control over your food. Um, also decreased access to healthcare providers on this kind of earlier front. You know, a lot of healthcare providers either stopped seeing patients in person or stopped seeing patients completely yeah. um, during the pandemic. So then there's been a delay in care. So a lot of different factors going on there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think I'd like to add to, uh, yeah. I think, especially for adolescents, um, that it's been really challenging in terms of their access to, you know, live their life, I think for everybody, for sure. But in terms of things that are motivating, um, the social aspect um, has been really, really challenging the amount of time spent on um, social media. Um, also, in terms of kind of a control aspect, um, food can become something that people feel they're in control of, or not in control of, um, right, and kind of swinging from those spectrums. So you know, in the nature of disordered eating and eating disorders, um, they are very multifaceted. There are um, a variety of, of things that are going to play a role in the development of them, some that you may be conscious of and some that you may not be conscious of. Um, but I think that there's just been a lot, um, a lot of change and, and that access to a variety of things, whether it be to care to, to other people, to hobbies, to outlets. Um, we all had to kind of adjust there. Um, and I think, and I wonder if, if you all saw this too, um, just since you, you work with people on, on pain management and, and taking care of their, their muscles to also create long-term, um, sustainable pain management or reduce pain, um, is, is that, um, um, Oh, shoot. I lost my train of thought. Can you oh, you're okay? <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're, you're, you're spot on though. Like I, I think that's really interesting too. Like technology. Oh, I know what I was yeah, saying. we got. Okay. Um, so a lot, there's been also with a lot of athletes, um, mm -hmm. since they lost access to their competitions, to their regular training schedules, to access to gyms, um, you know, that was all virtual, um, that there was a lot of pressure to maintain their, um, their fitness. Yeah. And, um, a lot of ways to do that, um, was they, it was not accessible, um, and that there was kind of a, a shift of how people were going to do that, but also a lot of pressure from coaches at various levels, um, and trainers and stuff to maintain their fitness. But, um, how are they going to do that when they didn't necessarily have the access or schedule or routine that they were used to? Um, and so a lot of those a lot of those pressures um, and, and changes in lifestyle um, could have also played a role in, in people 
feeling the need to use food as their way to control their body, their weight, their fitness level. Yeah. Um, those kind of things. Man, for sure. And you know, it's, it's really interesting. We talked about like, uh, I, I didn't even think about it from a, from an eating standpoint, but man, technology is, is, it's such a great thing, but it's such a horrible thing at the same time. Right. Like, uh, especially like social, the social media aspect of it. Like, uh, we, I can't tell you how many people we saw that came into the clinic because they were trying to do some home workout that they found online and just like crush themselves with it and, or, or, you know, was trying to use the inappropriate thing at home. And, and it's all because of some that they found online. And, I uh, was listening to some 20 year old who just had a, you know, a strong following on social media. Somehow that's turned into credibility, right? So the same thing can, can be applied to a nutrition and what you should be eating and how you should be feeling. And um, all these things that can really turn into and you're constantly, if you're constantly getting pounded by it, because social media does a really good job at, at feeding you things that you've already looked at. Right. And uh, so, man, it can be, a, it can turn into a downward spiral super fast, super fast. Oh, I've, we, we have definitely had patients come in talking about diet plans or exercise workouts, particularly ones that said, you know, avoid the pandemic pounds. And, mm -hmm. you know, they were doing this workout from TikTok and this restrictive diet plan that they found on some other form of social media. And that that kind of prompted a triggered things. And a lot of people don't realize that physiologically, if your body gets to a certain level of restriction, it sort of becomes, takes on a life of its own and rationale can go out the window. So, and a lot of people don't know that. So it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Can you kind of elaborate on that one a little bit? Well, this will sound maybe a little bit boring um, scientifically, but no, I love it. What there, do you got? There was actually a, a starvation study done years ago where they had a bunch of men and they cut their intake from 3000 to 1500 calories a day. And within a few weeks, the, and these men did not have any, history of eating disorders or focus on food. And within days to weeks, there was all this talk about food and recipes and people started to see themselves differently in the mirror and body dysmorphia. And once your body gets to a certain weight and level of food restriction, a lot of times you can't really even see yourself accurately and your mind becomes fixated on food and weight and activity. It's absurd. The Minnesota starvation study by Ansel Keys. Okay. I was just going to say that had to be a university great. study. It's it really, reminds... and also it does a great job of explaining um, the refeeding process. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the process of when someone's been very malnourished, you can't, you know, it, it would be un, unhealthy and your body couldn't handle going from that 1500 to 3000 calories immediately. You have to, to go really gradual at first when there's been that, um, extreme malnutrition. Um, so it goes through a, a, a great explanation of that process and, um, and that experience for the men and, um, where some of them are now. Um, yeah. very interesting study. I was going to add a, in terms of kind of something that people, um, if they're looking for something they can do around social media and like what is on their feeds right now. Ooh, yeah. Let's um, got, let's, uh, let's have it. So one thing that you can do is just, spend some time and, and think about, you know, when you see a post or when you see someone that you follow, um, think about, you know, what, what is this post doing for me? What are they, you know, what information are they sharing? Where is it coming from? Who is, you know, benefiting from this knowledge, um, or from this information? Um, 
and just kind of look a little bit more into what you are following. And if you decide in that moment that, or after some time thinking about it, that that person or that, that post is not helpful for you, um, unfollowing them. Um, there's also a way to report, um, a post and you can actually select that it is targeting or triggering for eating disorders, disordered eating. I always encourage people to do that because not that it necessarily takes it down, but you're putting it out there that this is inappropriate. Um, but I also will say that, as you said, the algorithm is pretty dang good and it can take a very long time for your algorithm to correct. And so, um, I just say that, that, that is a great first step to removing some of those influences, um, that may not be positive for your relationship with, with food movement, your body, your mind. Um, and it can take a really long time. Um, but it is a step. And as you said, we are constantly pounded by it, um, over and over from so many angles. So if that's one, one area, whether it's one app or another app or whatever, um, that's one step that you can take for yourself to, to start to reduce those types of influences if they're not helpful for you. Perfect. That's a super good tip. And you know, it's interesting too. And like, if nothing else, maybe you can just let the person know like, Hey, not okay for you to post that, right? Even if it doesn't get taken down, they're getting hit. Like, um, maybe it hits them at the right moment and makes them reconsider. Your the experience of why it's, you find it inappropriate or triggering or something. Yeah, for so, sure. It could be an enlightening thing, right? Like we all learn from each other, right? Um, cool. So let me ask you this. So, okay. We talked a lot about a lot of different topics and uh, what if, uh, say I'm, what, if I'm going to come and be a patient of yours, what does a typical like initial, uh, what, what's that typical process look like? Are you, do I need to kind of call into the office, talk with one of y'all first? Do I need to have a physician referral? Do I need, do I go through like, uh, a screening process? Like, what does it look like to be a patient of y'all's? So no, no specific referral from a physician required. We do have physicians that do directly refer to us. But typically, it is the patient, the patient's family will reach out um, either by email or by a link on our website or by phone call. Uh, We both each individually have our own office phone number. And then we will respond back and usually schedule a short phone call to kind of assess what are the needs. Would this be a good fit? And then at that point, we schedule a visit for an initial evaluation and then kind of come up with a plan of care and how how things will look, whatever it's very individualized for whatever each person might need. Um, every yeah. person is, is unique. Yeah. And then what is, I know this is a super loaded question, but if, just speaking from like a 10,000 foot view, looking down, like what does a typical plan of care kind of look like? So for, depending on what's going on, I, I have some patients that after an initial evaluation and then they were already working with an outside therapist that maybe they started on a medication and I saw them weekly for a bit. And then that kind of stretches out because they are seeing an outside therapist to yeah. once a month, once every three months. Then I have other patients that I see one or two days a week for psychotherapy and medication management, both. Mm-hmm. And that will go on in, until someone is in a better place. And um, but we're always working towards, wellness and wellness being where somebody both biologically and emotionally feels their best, not necessarily a number on a scale, um, or 
you know, a certain number on a screening tool, yeah. um, but where somebody physically and emotionally feels their best. And a lot of that is going to be patient driven. Yeah. That's awesome. And then if somebody wanted to find out more about who you guys are, if they wanted to get in touch with you, if they wanted to give the office a call or shoot you guys an email, what are some really cool sources for them to be able to reach out to you guys with? So our website, balancehealthconsulting.com. And on our website, you'll find that not only are there links to reach out to us to book appointments, but there's information about each of us. We also have information on our focus areas, including anorexia, anxiety, ARFID, binge eating disorder, bulimia, depression, orthorexia, disordered eating, and fibromyalgia. We talk about our different services we provide. And we also have a lot of free resources in terms of podcasts, uh, articles people can read, books they might want to order. And that's pretty much the best way to reach out. Yeah, I love it. Well, guys, thank you so much. Kristen, Liza, uh, you guys are just a wealth of information. I feel like every little piece of this conversation that we've had could have been a podcast in and of itself. Uh, There's so much there to unpack, so much there to learn. Um, It's been awesome to learn more about what what you guys do, how you guys are serving the Atlanta area, and and really making a difference for the people that you get to come in contact with. So uh, I know you guys are super busy. I really appreciate you guys coming on to the podcast and uh, continue doing what you're doing. Thanks so much, Jacob. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Can I add one thing? Yes. What do you got, Eliza? We're also doing in-person and virtual appointments. So um, we are both licensed in the state of Georgia. So could see anybody there. Um, And I'm licensed in also South Carolina. So if any people listening are from South Carolina um, and feel that they need support, I'm happy to offer that as well. Um, But in terms of people in the Atlanta area, and around, we are also offering in person. Would be happy to see you there. Awesome, Kristen, Liza, thank you so much, y'all. Check out Balance Health Consulting; they're doing incredible things. And uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank thanks. you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.